Welcome to Commercial Conversations Over Coffee, the show where two college dropouts turned real estate millionaires discuss all aspects of commercial real estate investing. Now, welcome your hosts, Tyler Cobble and apartment guy, Bruce Peterson. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to Commercial Conversations Over Coffee. I am Tyler Cobble, joined as always by my good friend, Bruce Peterson. Bruce, how was your weekend? How was your Christmas? Oh, my Christmas was great. We just saw the kid off. Uh, she came in, she was here with us for about a week, and then she flew straight to Tulum to hang out in Cancun, Mexico for 10 days. So that sounds she's terrible. having a little more fun than me. Yeah, why, do, why aren't you going to Mexico? What are you doing? Somebody told me I got to be on a podcast. And if I'm going to be on a podcast, I have to be sitting in my office. That's what you <laughs> I was told I couldn't go by you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm I'm the uh, I'm the Grinch here, keeping you from going to Mexico. My family actually went to Mexico too, and um, I actually decided not to go, uh, which was tough because you know on Wednesday you and I are closing on a deal, and so I've got to be in town to make sure that we get that all wrapped up. So that's that's been interesting. But um, yeah, well, we had a pretty interesting Christmas morning here in Nashville. Um, it's been a yeah, man. It's been a wild few days um, for anybody that. I guess has been living under a rock or maybe doesn't keep up with news. Uh, there was a, a suicide bombing uh, in downtown Nashville on Christmas morning, um, actually right in front of where I used to live, um, which is kind of wild to think about. I literally used to live. He, he was right outside 166 Second Avenue, and I lived at 160. And wow. so all of those historic buildings um, are destroyed. I think one of them is going to have to get um, torn down. But um yeah, but it was, it's, it's been weird. I mean, you know, so my little sister's dad actually owns a hotel uh, at 154 Second Avenue, and they had a camera outside that picked up audio. So we were one of the first uh, in, the, in the country to hear what was going on um, right, right before it happened. I mean, he was playing music um, over the loudspeakers, um, which was very creepy, and uh, he had a, a, a warning evacuate the area there's a bomb uh, playing so it was, which is really interesting i mean clearly you know he didn't want to kill anybody so um, he set that off for about an hour trying to get everybody out of the area and thankfully the the first responders in nashville shout out to them did a phenomenal job uh, they ran into the area um, as soon as they started hearing the the bomb threats and started evacuating all of the buildings so it's kind of unbelievable to think there were 41 buildings damaged and only three people were hospitalized, and those were with minor injuries. I mean, it's it's remarkable yeah, the that there were – do what? The only death was him, too. So that was yeah. unfortunate that he took his own life, but at least it was fortunate that he didn't take anybody else with him. No kidding. No kidding. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been a weird few days in Nashville. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, Na Nashville's had a hell of a year, man. I mean, we got hit by the tornado. Uh, then, you know, we got hit by the derecho. Then coronavirus, you know, now this bombing. Um, but the good thing is Nashville's pretty resilient, man. So uh, we're, we're bouncing back. Yeah, and I think that's key, right? That we'll make it through this. We, we make it through everything. You know, we had a, what a serial bomber. Uh, I think it was a serial bomber now. Uh, a year or two ago in Austin, you know, things are going to happen. We've got to keep moving. We can't freak out and shut our own lives down because there are some some loose cannons out there. I don't want to, you know, I almost use the word whack job, but that's unfair, right? Because 
Yes, that's the gut reaction. What a nut job. What a piece of shit. Well, I don't know what was going on with that dude. You know, I hate to judge because who knows what he was dealing with. What he did was uncalled for, right? There's no good reason to do it ever. But at the same time, I don't know what he's dealing with. I hate what he did. I hate that he took his own life. And I hate that he caused a lot of destruction, a lot of fear. You know, my wife is flying out today to go to into Nashville to hang out with you at, you know, some of our businesses. So, um, yeah, it, it, it can get scary sometimes. But again, we're going to make it through this. So I just, you know, as soon as it happened, you start seeing all kinds of crazy crap flying all over social media. It was the left. It was the right. It was this. It was... Nobody knows. Well, now we kind of know. I don't know that we completely know a motive, and but you know, I hate that people jump to conclusions immediately and want to blame somebody. This dude had problems. Why he did what he did, who knows? But it's it's important that everybody's safe. It didn't impact many of us directly, and a few of us it did impact indirectly, or it did you know harm some buildings. But we didn't lose life, so we'll make it through it. We'll keep pushing. Head up. Don't retreat. Don't put your head in the sand or you're never going to make a change in your life. That's right. I mean, look, you know, the, the great thing about Nashville, I mean, the, you know, what's been trending this year is, is hashtag Nashville strong. And, uh, you know, there's there's not a better, uh, you know, two words that could describe describe the city. Um, you know, Nashville's so good at coming together and helping each other through this stuff um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but we'll get through it. And so everybody's kind of, you know, taking that sentiment and, um, you know, we, we always look on the positive side and the positive side of it is that no one was killed. Uh, you know, I think that that's remarkable. Right. So how are communications is Wi-Fi is Internet is cell services, all that back up. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know as well, so the, the bomb went off right outside of the AT&T, uh, essentially the AT&T Southern uh, network hub. So if, if it had fully destroyed that building, I think it would have knocked out AT&T Communications in the southeast. Uh, that's my understanding, at least. That may not be fully true. But what they did knock out was AT&T in Tennessee, uh, both cellular and Wi-Fi, um, and then in, in a, a good chunk of Kentucky as well. So uh, everything's back up and running now. I mean, they've been working around the clock to get it going. They've been putting up mobile cell towers. Uh, you know, they got people in there to start repairing the building. Unfortunately, the building caught fire again um, after they, um, you know, had gotten in there and started repairing it. But my phone's working again. I was, I was worried, you know, being in commercial real estate, obviously we live by our phones. And so, I, you know, I thought I was going to have to go in this morning and get a burner phone uh, to start calling people. Um, but fortunately, everything was back up and running. So we're all good to go. Yeah, it's hard to conduct business when you don't have internet and you don't have cell service. You know, things like this happen every once in a while and you start to realize how dependent we are upon that crap. But it is what it is. Our worlds slow down, if not some aspects of it stop when you lose communication like that. So when it happened, you know, I'll be honest with you, right? You're like a brother to me or a son, whatever you want to call it. But I couldn't get a hold of you. And yeah. I was getting nervous, you know, because... I know how you are. I, you and I are very similar in this uh, manner, I think, that I want to be in the middle of it to see what I can do to help, to see who I can help. And that's going through my brain thinking that's who you are too, and I can't get a hold of you. And I'm like, oh, oh. so you know, I'm <laughs> nervous, but, you know, I figured you were okay, but until we know for sure, you just don't know. 
Yeah, Sorry, I appreciate you can that. Pressure washers washing the outside of my house. We're getting paint done, so I apologize. That's no, all good. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was bizarre. I mean, I woke up to a bunch of texts and calls that morning because uh, so cell service was actually working for a little bit afterwards. They had to cut it off due to the the exposed gas lines. Um, but I. Uh, I used to live right there, and so and a lot of people knew that, and so they were all freaking out, calling me, making sure I didn't still live there, which was, which was good to see, um, you know, that uh, people were reaching out like that. But anyway, that is uh, that's not the main conversation of what we're supposed to be diving in today. I'm pretty excited. Uh, so last week, you know, Bruce and I were talking about what we should talk about on, again on this episode, and we were in the midst of you know the the Senate and Congress passing the latest relief bill. Uh, and it actually ended up getting signed by President Trump last night. Uh, so it couldn't be any better timing for us to be talking about this. But, Bruce, you want to tell everybody kind of what we're going to be talking about with the, the Corona bus? Right. So, yeah, that's what I'm here to call it, too, is the Corona bus. Um, so basically, they passed another stimulus package. At, I think it's $908 billion. And there's multiple levels of that stimulus package. Um, you'll qualify for some. You won't qualify for others. Um, but the two big ones for what we do, right? So the eviction moratorium, so the, uh, you can't evict anybody, period. It's not tied to lending. It's not tied to anything other than the federal government saying nobody can be evicted, period, until January 31st at the earliest. Now they may extend it once again, they've extended it multiple times, but that was one thing that came out. So we can't evict anybody. And remember, every time we talk about this specific thing, I want to make sure people understand, I never want to evict anybody. I don't think any of us ever do, but sometimes for the for the health of your business, you have to. But right now we can't, which does have economic uh, implications to our businesses. Luckily, not big enough yet to where it really affects us too badly. But anyways, we can't evict anybody at least through January 31st. And then for business owners, you have another round of PPP or payment uh, payroll protection program that you can qualify for, uh, but it's a little different than last time. Last time it was basically just submit an application and we will give you up to two and a half times, two and a half months worth of payroll. And it was kind of a blanket thing. Now what they've said, because they've had more time to digest what's going on with coronavirus and all of that. So they changed it a little bit to say, Look, you can qualify, but only if you can show 25% of your income has been lost because of this. So if let's say you had $100,000 in monthly income and suddenly it went down to 150, well, you've been affected by 25%. So then you would be eligible for the, the payroll protection program. Um, so it's there for people that need it, but there are some new strings attached to it. It, you know, I think they're just trying to make sure that everybody doesn't get it if you don't need it. Because when they just offer it to everybody, well, everybody's going to take you up on it, even people that don't really need it that weren't negatively impacted at all. So they did that to try to change it. And of course, we've got the extension of um, unemployment benefits uh, at $600 a month. And uh, let's see, no, I'm sorry, $300 weekly uh for 11 weeks but since it took an extra week to get it signed it might only be 10 weeks because it's supposed to run through the end of march so it looks like for the next 10 weeks everybody will get 300 uh in weekly additional unemployment benefits and then you get the stimulus right 600 for uh adults and 600 for each of their dependent children 
but that starts to phase itself out after you make over $75,000 a year as a single person. And I think it's $115,000 a year as a head of household and maybe one twenty-seven five for married filing jointly or something like that. So there are, again, there are thresholds, but uh, there is another $600 check coming. But, you know, the president has said that he's going to try to get 2000 I think the Democrats are saying they want 2000 So we'll see what happens. But the bill that got signed was for $600. So I think there might be some things with EIDL, uh, the, the, the small business loans you can get. But that's a high level from what I understand. And I'm pulling you know information from multiple sources. It's very disparate right now. I didn't go and find it at you know dot gov you know i found it from some reputable sources so that's my understanding at a very high level what, what have you found out or what what do you think is different than what i said yeah no, i mean, i think you're i think you're pretty much you know right on it uh, you know i looked at the national association of realtors they put out a pretty good um, article on it um, and then also taxfoundation.org has some pretty good information if you want to really dive into this further and i will leave those links in the show description uh, below but uh, you know some of the other aspects of it. You did touch on the idle, um, the economic injury disaster loans. The 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 new relief bill has an additional twenty billion dollars for that. Um, it also provides twenty five billion dollars to the states um, through September thirtieth, twenty twenty two, for rental assistance, and it allows landlords to apply for these funds on behalf of tenants, which you know I think is is massive, and it's it was much needed. Uh, you know, if we're not going to be able to evict people, which, you know, like Bruce said, nobody ever wants to go through that process. But at the end of the day, you know, if you don't have renters paying you, your bank's not just going to say, oh, yeah, don't worry about paying any bills. I mean, you still have to make your mortgage payments. You still have to pay your taxes. Uh, there's still a lot of expenses that are related to that. Um, and we all know that as, as property owners. Um, that, uh, that $25 billion includes payments for rent in arrears, as well as utilities and other expenses related to housing. Um, and it extends, you know, like Bruce said, the federal eviction ban through the end of January. So uh, that has gotten extended several times. Uh, we will certainly see what that is going to look like um, in the future. I would imagine it's going to continue to be extended on a 30-day uh, rolling basis for, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, the, the bill also provides new money for schools and vaccine distribution, I think, uh, which is wonderful. I mean, the, the sooner we get the vaccine out there, uh, the better everybody can get back to work and we can stop talking about all this and worrying about it. Um, so, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what else um, comes out of it. You know, like Bruce said, you know, Trump is already talking about giving $2,000 more to Americans. I think that that's a great idea. Uh, there were also uh, some impacts uh, on, you know, YTech. Uh, if you do low-income housing tax credits, uh, there are there's now an increased allocation um, to the states, uh, which will subsidize the construction and rehab of housing developments that have, you know, income limits. Um, which, you know, we've talked about this before. That, uh, you know, we we feel that affordable housing is probably going to skyrocket in popularity and demand following this because, uh, you know, following this pandemic, because, you know, if the government's going to tell you you can't evict anybody and your people aren't paying rent, they're not making money to pay rent, what's better than having government subsidized housing? I mean, the government's obviously going to continue paying that, uh, which is which is great. And then the other thing, which I certainly appreciate as a real estate professional, is the deduction for business meals. Uh, you know, it, that was actually uh, cut a couple of years ago down to 50 percent 
um, for a 50% deduction. And now for 2021 and 2022, uh, it is 100%. You're allowed to deduct 100% of your business meals, uh, which is uh, very exciting to me because I'm always out entertaining people, as, uh, as I'm sure you are too, Bruce. Yeah, so it, it's not a huge thing, but it, it does matter, right? Yeah, because if, if you're taking somebody out and it's a $50 meal, you have to be able to write off 25 bucks of it. So, you know, I, I hope 50 bucks doesn't sound like, you know, weird, right? Because I was just thinking, as I said, that, that, yeah, I could take somebody to Taco Bell or McDonald's and have a $10 lunch. But, you know, when you're trying to, you know, this is just mindset again, right? If you're right. trying to raise money, if you're trying to land clients, if you're trying to gain new business, then you you don't want to be taking people to McDonald's, right? So, you know, we're going to a little nicer places, but yeah, it, it does start to add up because, you know, there's many weeks where I will have two or three or four different lunches planned, uh, some dinners sometimes. So yeah, that it's a small thing, but it really does matter. Yeah, I mean, that it, it adds up. So let's dive into the evictions. Um, you know, how, how are you personally handling that? How do you see this playing out if the government doesn't continue to to pass these stimulus bills but it makes everybody stay at home well everybody understands because we do a very good job of communicating at the property level our property teams are communicating constantly with the residents to make sure they understand that look we can't evict you true you still owe rent now while we can't evict you maybe you choose not to pay rent even if you can because you're nervous and you think I want to bankroll money and I want to have an emergency fund that I didn't have before. This is going to allow me to develop that emergency fund. All fine. Right. But if you're going to go that route, first of all, we're going to put you on a payment plan. You know, we're going to allow you time to pay off all the back rent that you owe. So we're, we're reasonable. We're trying to work with everybody. But at the same time, when the eviction moratorium or ban is finally lifted, because someday it will finally be lifted you still owe for all that back rent. And we make sure everybody knows that, that if you've gone, just to make an example, this hasn't happened, but if it were to happen, let's say you go 12 months at $1,000 a month for rent. When the eviction ban is lifted, if you haven't made any of those payments, as soon as that eviction ban is lifted, you better come up with $12,000 or you're gonna get evicted. Now it'll take some time into 30 to 60, Texas uh, to to evict, so you might be able to buy another month or two of not paying any rent, and then just deal with the eviction when it comes. Some people are professional lease hoppers, if you will, and this is just the way they live their lives, which I don't agree with at all. Um, but again, we're we're communicating, making sure people understand that that's still a liability. Liability. It's just one that's being pushed off. So. You know, most people that we've offered uh, payment plans to, they've taken us up on it and they realize that, look, I do still owe this. So as soon as I can pay it in full, I need to be doing so. So they're making the payments they can. Uh, many people, uh, you know, I, I would say probably 92 to 94 percent of our residents across the portfolio, they're still making rent payments. So we're not really that bad off right, right now. This is where people that are just assholes to people, you know, the thing that comes to mind because it's on TV right now, Leona Helm, many of you probably don't know who that person is, but she was like a famous landlord that was basically a slumlord in New York. You treat people like crap. You treat them as a slumlord uh, owner. You know, when things like this happen, 
they have no sympathy for you. They're not in this with you. They don't care that you might go under. When you show uh, show these people respect, you you treat them with dignity and you try to help them through it. It's to your benefit to try to help them through it. But then they're also going to see that, look, they were helping me through this time when I needed help. So when the eviction ban is up, I'm going to make them whole. So it goes back to treat people well. You know, be helpful in every way you can. Uh, treat people with dignity, and it makes things go a lot better and a lot smoother. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, the the more sympathy um, and empathy that you can have for uh, your tenants, you know, obviously working with the tenants that you already have is your best option. Um, you know, sure there are people moving around right now, but it's a lot tougher to to deal with that. Um, and find new tenants than it is to keep the ones that you already have. Uh, you know, we wrote uh, very early on in the pandemic about how to how to handle that for landlords. You know, work with the tenants where you can. Uh, put a plan together with those tenants. Uh, and also, you know, one thing that we did too, um, and I think that this is this is great advice for anybody that's that's going through that right now, is be willing to work with the businesses that apply for the PPP loan. We made it very clear early on that any tenants that didn't apply for the PPP loan, um, that we weren't gonna we weren't gonna try and work with them because they're not trying to help themselves. And that is 100% what the PPP loan is intended to do, is to help these businesses make those payments. And so if they're not gonna go through that to help themselves, I mean it's literally free money for them to cover their expenses while we're going through all of this, then, you know, why should you as a landlord stick your neck out on the line um, and help them as well? And, and so, you know, one thing to note too, the, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program is re, uh, it, it is forgivable. Um, so, you know, yes, it's technically a loan. If it is, if it is properly utilized, then you don't have to worry about paying that back, uh, which, you know, of course is, uh, it's it's a lifeline right now. I mean, it's it's helped a lot of businesses get through this. You know, we talk about treating people with dignity and respect, and you know, being as helpful as we can. But you know, it just made me think. I know one person specifically. I know this person personally. They applied for PPP. They got it. They went out and bought a car. I'm like, wow. What the hell is wrong with you? What? And the F is wrong with you. Well, what they decided was, and I think this was fairly common. I wouldn't say half the people did this or probably even 20% of the people did this, but I know people did this. <laughs> this person thought, well, you know what? I want a car and it won't be forgivable, but I think the interest rate on it is like 2% or 1%. It, it's, it's a ridiculously it's low interest rate. So they thought, low. well, hell, that's better than an interest rate, uh, uh, the interest I can get from a bank or a lender. So, hey, I'm just... You know, everybody's going to do whatever they're going to do. I, I don't want to say that's wrong. You're terrible. Again, to each their own. I just don't approve of that myself. That's not the way I conduct my life. There, uh, this is something that comes up too in a lot of speeches that I give, uh, trying to help people understand what's going on. And there's been a study done. I've seen it done three times in the last 20 years. And I, forgive me, I can't remember who conducted the study. But what they do is they ask, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, how do you plan on uh, providing for yourself and your loved ones in your golden years, right? You're 60, 70, 80 years old. How are you going to provide for yourself? 
you know, you're thinking, you know, I'm setting aside money to 401k and IRA. I'm, I'm doing different things. I'm investing my money. I'm saving this much money. Well, the number one and number two answer on all three results of this that I've seen, number one is I'm going to win the lottery. If that's your plan for retirement, you're so screwed and maybe you don't realize it. That is asinine. That is ridiculous. The second most common answer is I'm going to sue somebody. So to me, that goes back to this, these people that took out the PPP and the EIDL loans with no intention of getting it away because I'm just going to go buy, you know, I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to whatever, you know, it's that mindset that how can I get over on the system? How could I take somebody else's shit? Go get your own shit. Don't try to take my shit. I busted my ass for my shit. Sorry, cussing a lot right now, but it's that mindset that guys, if you would just apply all of that ingenuity and all that ass busting you're doing, trying to figure out how to get by on somebody else, get over on somebody else, what kind of a success could you have been on in your own right rather than trying to take money from other people? So. Sorry, tangent, but it's just something that bugs the hell out of me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's obviously not what the PPP is intended for, and, and hopefully uh, the majority of people are actually using it what it is for what it is supposed to do. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things about this latest round is that the uh, it's actually been expanded uh, what expenses it'll cover. Uh, which is which is pretty exciting because you know the first go round it was it was there to cover employee wages um, and operating expenses like rent and utilities. Now it's been expanded to include you know covered property damage, uh, supplier costs, uh, worker protection expenditures such as you know personal protective equipment, um, PPE, uh, not to be confused with PPP, uh, but you know th those are all expenses that businesses are still having to pay for. Uh, going through all this. So it's it's nice to see that that um, is uh, is now available. You know, one thing to note too, and there was there was a lot of confusion around this the first go round. The PPP is intended for businesses. You know, why, why should I, or do I even qualify for that as a property investor? Absolutely you do, because you, you likely own uh, that, that, in, you know, that asset in an LLC or in a corporation. Um, or maybe even if you own it personally, that is still technically a business that you are operating. So you do have expenses, um, even though it's an investment, you have expenses, you have operating expenses, you have um, employees, you have all that kind of stuff. So you do qualify for this as much as, you know, the coffee shop down the street uh, qualifies for a PPP loan. So be sure to apply as early as you can. I mean, it is a it is a forgivable loan. And one thing that they they, they specifically noted in the CARES Act um, is that PPP loans will not be counted as taxable income either. You know, typically forgivable loans are considered taxable income. So, you know, they're doing everything that they can uh, to provide as much, um, as much assistance to, to businesses going through this as, as seems reasonable. Now, I did say everything they can. Um, it has been uh, somewhat of a carnival um, or a circus uh, watching, you know, both sides of the aisle uh, dance around this. You look at other countries across the world who have been paying their citizens, you know, every week since the pandemic started. And, you know, for whatever reason, the United States cannot seem to do that. But that is neither here nor there. This is not a political talk show. 
Right. So, you know, I want to hit on the PPP thing that you were talking about before, the initial thing that came through the CARES Act months and months ago. You know, part of the PPP was that um, it was only for what they deemed to be a legitimate business, and they didn't see an investment as a legitimate business. So uh, initially it was decided that, no, if you own real estate, you don't qualify. Well, you know, to kind of dive into that a little deeper, you know, there was lots of pushback, lots of lobbying going on. Um, and lobbying is not necessarily a bad word. A lot of people attach a negative connotation to, to lobbying. It's people out there speaking on your behalf with your best interests in mind, looking out for your interests. But so when they said initially that you won't be able to get it if you just own an apartment complex. Okay, well, that's what all of us do that are in my space. Well, what we did because we own our own management company our property management company, we were fine because that in their eyes was a legitimate business, not an investment. I think the initial thought was that, well, these investments, you're rich people if you can make investments in apartment complexes, so you don't really need to help. We need to help really, you know, truly small businesses, not investment vehicles. Well, so again, since we own our own property management company, the way it should ideally work, and some people don't do it this way, and I think they're making a big mistake, but it came back to show itself uh, in another positive light when we do it the right way. When I own four, five, six apartment complexes and I own a management company, the employees that work on that property, they are not employees of that property at all. They're not employees of the investment. They are employees of the management company. The management company will then place employees where they need to throughout the portfolio. But because they are employees of the management company and not of the investment itself or of the apartment complex uh, complex itself, well, now I don't have to worry about that weird wrinkle that they put into the CARES Act initially because I'm running all my payroll through one company, right? Because my property management company pays for those employees. So the, the property management company took out the PPP loan, the individual properties didn't. If you don't have your own property management company, you know, something like that would not have worked. Now, they've since kind of rectified that, it sounds like, that even investment vehicles uh, do qualify because they do have their own overhead. And a lot of people that are investing in real estate, it's not like they're rich. They just put, the, you know, their 401k or their IRA into real estate, and that might pay them two to $3,000, $4,000 a month and that is their retirement. So it's very vitally important for those people too. But again, just a small wrinkle that if you're gonna own a management company and you're gonna own real estate, the management company should own the employees, not the properties. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, we're, we're applying for the PVP for every single one of our entities, uh, because why not? I mean, that's, that's what the money is there for. It's there to, to cover those expenses. Uh, Bruce, you know, moving forward, um, it, it seems like, you know, the stimulus packages keep, they keep coming uh, because they, they, they have to come. I mean, how do you see this impacting real estate investing in 2021? Well, I think 2021, we talked about it a little bit last week that, you know, I don't think in commercial real estate, you're going to see a huge impact, especially in uh, multifamily. You know, prices keep going up. Cap rates keep going down, interest rates keep going down. So, you know, think about the value proposition when you're trying to figure out how much something is worth. The lower the interest rate, the less of my profit generated has to go to making interest payments on the loan. 
So now I could afford to pay a higher price to get the same return, right? That's why as interest rates go down, almost always your prices of the properties will go up. Um, but that's what's happening. You know, interest rates have fallen through the floor, cap rates have fallen through the floor. And remember when a cap rate goes down, the value goes up. So values have gone up. Uh, I just got an unsolicited offer for a 200 unit property I own. I paid uh, $18 million for it. And I think maybe 18.7 million. And I, they, they contacted me, said, hey, we are interested in your property. I said, ah, look, I'm not really interested in selling this at all. It's a great property for me. But if I were, you know, it would have to be around 34 million. And I'm not talking about this to try to impress anybody, to freak anybody out. It's to kind of explain what's going on right now. So I've owned this thing for about three years now and almost three and a half actually paid 18.7 million for it. And I told them it's going to have to be 32 to 34 million for, for me to consider it. They came back and said, Hey, that never works for me. I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, so then I started thinking about ask enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so before I was like, I'm just going to throw out a big number to choke them. So they'll go away. Well, and they said, Nope, that works. I'm like, Oh crap. I really need to think about this now. Do I want to sell it? So I went back to him and said, look, we're going to hold off. We're going to hold off for about another year or two before we decide to sell it. And they said, okay, well, what if we could come back with a higher number? You know, maybe that would move your needle a little more. So, you know, because interest rates have taken such a dive, profitability has stayed relatively stable. Yes, it has gone down because of COVID, but most smart investors know that's a short-term trend. That will eventually, you know, be gone. We will get back to normal profitability and everything will be good. So people are willing to pay up more now than they were before. So for, I bet I could ask them for $36 million on a property that I paid $18 million for roughly. But remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. If I bought it for 18 and I sell it for 36, I didn't double my investors' money. We didn't double our investment. We doubled the value of the property. Remember, I, I take out a, a loan that I only have to put 25% down for maybe, maybe 20% down. That doubling of the price of the property will turn into a four or five X in the right circumstances, at least a three X return. Meaning if you as an individual investor invested $10,000 in a deal that had that happen, you would look to make 30, take out 30 to $40,000, maybe as much as $50,000 when the property sells. That's incredible at a zero. All of our investments have a $100,000 minimum. If you invest $100,000, you might walk with three to $500,000. So um, I wanted to do it that way because I wanted, we're always trying to educate as we're going through this. So I don't want to just say what I think is going to happen. I want to kind of explain kind of the inner workings of these assets and these deals. So I think the prices are going to continue to stay where they are. If not, go even higher. Cap rates will continue to go lower. Remember, when they go lower, your value goes up. So because interest rates are so low and, you know, the Fed has shown no interest in raising interest rates anytime soon. So I don't think we're going to be negatively, negatively impacted by this much, if at all. And, you know, virus, uh, vaccines are starting to flow uh, a little slower than some might have hoped or, or expected. But they're going out. Uh, more and more vaccines will be coming online. So I think we're going to be past this in the next six to nine months. I think there's still... If people thought a vaccine meant, oh, tomorrow it's good. No, 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 no. It's going to take a while to get everybody vaccinated. The herd mentality, the uh, the herd immunity thing to kick in. So it's going to take some time. 
once all that happens, then we have to start opening businesses back up. Then people need to start getting reemployed. Then people need to wait two to four weeks for their first paycheck. It's going to take a little bit of time for this to unwind itself, but it's in process right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's you know a good thing to keep in mind uh, when you're going out. You know, one one thing that I was thinking about is like you know how do you underwrite a property? What what level of risk uh, do you need to have? And you do need to discount for in your underwriting, um, considering where we are uh, at the moment. But, you know, if you're looking at the five to seven year term, I mean, there's it's going to be gone. Right. I mean, you know, we're dealing with a lot of developers that are moving into Nashville for whatever reason. Development absolutely took off when the pandemic hit. And I think it's because they look at their projects on two to three year horizons. And they, they didn't see coronavirus is really impacting what they're doing. I mean, we put under contract some of the biggest land deals we've ever done uh, for, you know, to build 300 plus multifamily units because these developers look at it and they go two years from now, three years from now, when we deliver this product, this will be so far gone that it won't matter. And everybody else will have been freaking out and they would have put their projects on hold and not buying anything. And so you think about that, the opportunity two to three years from now, they may be one of the few apartment complexes that gets delivered which means that they'll be one of the most in demand that year, which, which of course always helps um, with, with you know, your investment returns. Um, right, that's on the, uh, the, the development side, but when you're buying stabilized assets, and uh, again, what we do typically is multifamily, um, same thing, you just gotta make sure you can get through the next six to 12 months and not you know, have to go upside down. You do need to set a better expectation for your investors that look while we get this thing uh, kind of back to where it should be you know six to nine months the returns might not be great but once it gets back to where it was prior our returns will look good so you just got to communicate well to your prospective investors don't over uh overdo your your projections understand that it's going to take a little while once you close on that asset to get it kind of back to where it was before the pandemic but it's gonna get back there. So like you said, the people that can see out past this kind of fear uh, piece right now, they're gonna do fine. We're all gonna make, we're all gonna do okay. And again, even if things get worse from here, think about 2008, 2009, the people that I know that were buying in 2005 and six, as long as they were good business people and good operators, now, operator could mean you're just good at overseeing the property management company you hire to run these properties for you. If you're a good operator and you bought smart, the people that I know that bought back in 2005, six and seven, they didn't lose their properties. So even as bad as that got, we were still fine. It may have carried out your whole timeline a little longer than you anticipated, but we were fine. Real estate, you know, I always fear saying real estate is very forgivable, Well, but it is. But I fear when I say that kind of thing that people go, oh, well, then anything that I put on a piece of paper, worst case scenario, it's not going to go too bad. I'm not saying that either. You can still screw this up. You can still lose your property. You can still go bankrupt and all that. But it is a very forgivable industry if you run it right and you're diligent in the way you underwrite, you underwrite conservatively, you buy right and you manage right. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, if you if you compare real estate to any other investment vehicle, um, you know, you can't you can't buy something and then six months later sell it and expect to to make a decent return. I mean, sure that that happens, but you know if you're look, you got to look at it at a five to seven year period. You can't you can't um, you know get worried and hung up on short term market volatility. 
you know, if you take any five to seven year period, um, you know, I mean, I would imagine even if you bought in 2006 and you held for seven years, you would have done just fine on that investment. I mean, that's just how it's just how real estate is. You cash flow it for a little bit. And, you know, maybe like Bruce has talked about before, maybe you end up getting an eight, 10 or 12 percent return. And that's, you know, less than what you had originally anticipated. But that's still an eight, 10 or 12 percent return. And, and it's backed by a tangible asset, you know, a, a physical piece of property, which, you know, we, we always talk about worst case scenarios. In a worst case scenario in stocks, like the, the market bottoms out, the company goes bankrupt, you lose, you know, 100 percent of whatever you invested in that in that company. You know, with real estate, like the, you still have something at the end of the day, even if the market bottoms out. So, you know, maybe you lose a lot of money, but you're not going to lose everything. Um, at least that's kind of how I, I look at it when I'm investing in real estate. What you can, right? So again, everybody has to understand you can lose everything because if you have to give back a property, basically you get uh, foreclosed on. Well, you lost everything because there's still value in that piece of property unless you pay cash, right? If you pay cash, you will recoup some of your, your losses, obviously. You'll get some of your money back. Most of us are going to put loans on these things. So if I have to give it back to the bank and let's say they take it from us, we file bankruptcy or whatever we're going to do, they're going to take the property down. They're going to try to fire sale it. They're, they don't want to hold this thing. They don't know how to operate these damn things. They, they provide loans. That's what they do. So they're going to try to sell this property out. And there's a very good chance that since you lost the property, it's probably not in the best of shape. So you're, they're not going to get full uh, market value for it. So they might have to sell for a 20, 30% discount. If you have a 70% loan and you sell it for a 30% discount, you break even, right? That's very superficial. I mean, very basic understanding of it. But you know, just for this example, you know, the banks made whole. So they're not going to come after you for any shortfall when they sell the property because they made their 70% loan back in the sale. Your money's still gone, right? All of your investment, if you invested 10,000 or 100,000, so it's highly unlikely if you keep your eyes on your business, you operate well and you buy with a margin of safety. It's very hard for that scenario to play itself out, but I've got to make sure that everybody understands it could happen again highly unlikely, a lot more rational than the stock market, but it is possible to lose all of your investment. Yeah, that's a that's a very important clarification there. Um, okay, awesome. Well, one thing that I want to talk about too is, you know, we mentioned it earlier in the show, is the, the deal that we're closing on on Wednesday. Bruce, you want to uh, kind of talk about what we've got going on? Yep. So we are doing this multi-use uh, food hall kind of concept with micro office, micro retail. We're going to have some micro restaurants in there. We're going to have some event space, uh, outdoor seating. You know, something that keeps coming up. I want to kind of stop a little bit and talk about something that people are asking me questions about. Well, Bruce, everything's outdoors. Well, what happens if it's 100 degrees outside? What happens if it's raining? Or, well, we have an event space that's very large that we're going to build. It's going to be roughly eight to 10,000 square feet. That can easily be repurposed. And that's the idea behind it. Right. So we can rent it out as event space, make some money there. But if it's inclement weather and, you know, we can't have the restaurants have to shut their doors because it rains because all the seating's outdoors. We have this huge space available that people can sit in also. So we have that covered. So I don't want people to get all freaked out about it. But this is such a great concept that not many people have done anything like this. Lots of food halls have been developed. And again, the food hall is just one part of this concept. But most food halls are indoor. 
you know, with COVID, that's been a little bit of a scary thing for people. They don't want to sit indoors. And some places uh, in the country are not even allowing restaurants to have indoor seating right now, as we've seen spikes in cases. Well, that's not what we're doing. We're building outdoor seating with the capability of indoor seating. Should people choose or should we need to do it? We have rooftop access. So, you know, it, it's a great way for people that still want to own their restaurants, open restaurants, to have a smaller footprint instead of a two to 4,000 square foot space. You know, if I can rent a 600 square foot space for my restaurant concept, that's a lot less risky than having to build out a 5,000 square foot space. So we're, we're providing a, a big like service, if you will, or filling a niche for that industry. But also it's a great destination that we're going to build. I mean, look at that. It, it's beautiful. You know, it, it's helping to revitalize East Nashville. That is, is big. I think we're at the forefront of the, uh, I don't always like this word, but the gentrification that's coming to the area, the cleaning up of the area. Um, so yeah, it, it's just a great project that uh, the investors, the projection for the investors is a 20% IRR within the first four to maybe five years. You know, we might deliver a little earlier than that, but we're underwriting four to five years just to be on the safe side, but great project. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I want to say, too, because some people don't invest using internal rates of return, IRRs. Uh, it is a 21.44% annualized cash on cash return, which means in that four to five year period, your your you know annualized cash on cash return each year is about 21.44%. Uh, you know, what, what I love about this concept is that it, it is the most, honestly, the most Nashville development that we could have possibly come up with. You know, Nashville is very similar to Austin where you've got a lot of, uh, it is an entrepreneurial city. You've got the Entrepreneur Center and a number of, of startup and tech hubs here. And so what this development is designed to do is to accommodate those startup uh, businesses in a much more affordable fashion than what has traditionally been uh, you know, offered to them. It's five minutes from downtown, so, so the, the location is incredibly convenient. But yeah, we've got restaurant bays starting at you know, 430 square feet. Uh, which, you know, if you're, if you're looking to test out a concept, you don't have to spend six or seven figures to build out a space. You don't have to sign a five or a 10 year lease. This really gives you options to come in and test out something new, something different. Uh, same with the micro retail. I mean, those suites are starting at around 400 square feet as well. They go up to, you know, maybe 800 square feet, give or take. So you think about the satellite, um, locations that business businesses could have. Maybe they don't want to have a, a full second location over in East Nashville, but they could use a smaller location just so that they have a presence in the market. I think that's uh, that's you know very popular among business owners. We've been proving this micro concept over the last, I'd say, 18 months, and it has leased incredibly well during the pandemic. Um, you know, the micro concepts that we have are actually leasing up faster than anything else. Uh, they're higher prices per square foot, but overall monthly, they're far more affordable. And you think about the environment that this creates when you have a small office space and you're on this campus. I mean, because that's essentially what this is. It's a cool campus with all this retail. Um, you've got all the restaurants. There's four bars, uh, two with rooftop decks. I mean, there, there's so many options for you to work outside, work at a cafe, meet with clients on site, and you're only five minutes downtown. 
uh, and tons of open free parking. You know, everything here, as far as the restaurants go as well, is optimized for to-go and delivery. So we actually have a drive-through lane where you know Uber Eats uh, or Postmates or even Lyft and Uber can drop people off, but they can run inside, you know, grab food from the places and and get out uh, and go, um, which is which is really exciting. So uh, we're 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 thrilled about the opportunity here. Uh, Bruce and I are closing on that deal on Wednesday. We will probably be wrapping up our capital raise by what do you think, Bruce? End of January, maybe beginning of February. That's what I think. And for people to understand, too, well, well, no, wait a minute, you're closing in three days. Well, so what's happening, you know, for people that haven't invested in a development deal, the way it works is we're first going to buy the land, right? There's two lots that we're buying where this is going to be built. And then, you know, the adjoining parcel we're getting also that has a vacant uh, motel on it. So we close on that in three days. We're going to take down the land. Then we take out the construction loan in about two to three months after that. So uh, that's why there's a little longer time for the cash raise than there is for the initial close. So we close on the property and then we start working on construction loans and the actual groundbreaking on construction uh, some months after that. So, yeah, I think we'll probably run it through January, maybe mid-February. But uh, we've had a lot of interest. Um, so it, it might fill up sooner than that, but it, there's a good chance it runs into January, early uh, February. Yep, it's a good product. Uh, we've actually gotten commended by uh, the the innovative tech sector at Urban Land Institute um, for what we're doing here. So I'm really excited. They may be actually making this a case study, uh, which is wonderful to see. Well, that's all we've got today. Uh, appreciate you guys joining us for the the Corona Bus and and our discussion on how we feel that that will impact multifamily and commercial real estate investing. Uh, thank you again for for joining us for commercial conversations over coffee, and we will see you next week. Later, guys.